0: Hey I'm Sam and I'm Lizzie and we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual.
1: Hi I'm Lizzie and Drew Barrymore's eyeshadow is what got me through my last year of grad school.
0: (laughs) Uh, Hi I'm Sam and welcome to Birth Control the movie. (laughs) (laughs) No fucking kidding. Jeez. Speaking of
1: birth control and that your family didn't take it, obviously, happy birthday, you silly bitch.
0: (laughs) My family didn't take their allotted birth control and I (laughs) exist now. Yes, it's my birthday. Woo! We do birthdays real special around here at Subtextual. Yeah. Once a year, Lizzie and I take a break from doing very gay movies on our birthday to do a movie that's not so gay. And today I chose a film Riding in Cars with Boys. Drew Barrymore, Brittany Murphy. Mm-hmm. Such a fantastic freaking film. I've been giggling, though. Like This is quite a sad film. And I've been giggling a lot because before we started rolling, Lizzie said Timothy Chalamet's name really weird. <laughs> Why did you tell me what you said?
1: Shim- <laughs> Shimothy Chalamet.
0: <laughs> and it's just bonking around my empty noggin for the last like 20 minutes. I've just been just saying like,
1: <laughs> in my head. Someone can claim that as a drag name and I like, wouldn't even be mad.
0: Y'all can have it. Have it for free. Um, before we talk about this movie that does not feature Shimothy Talame, I want to give a huge thank you to our lovely patrons who make this all possible. We've got some dope shit for you over there on patreon.com slash Pod. Most pointedly, video episodes. I have a lot of fun editing those and the patrons seem to enjoy them. So if you think you might enjoy them, go over there and... Spend some money, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We take a queer lens to some of our favorite and least favorite movies and look for the gay subtext that was already there, with the exception of this movie, because it's Sam's birthday, and so we don't have to do anything gay. And... Let me just tell you guys, Sam had a fucking really hard time choosing a movie this week. She actually pulled an Audible and made me watch this last night at midnight instead of the one that she had previously planned for. Sam, would you like to tell the audience what you made me do?
0: Yes. uh, I... Made Lizzie come to my house on Tuesday and I set up my DVD player and I busted out my DVDs and I put on the social network for her and I watched her watch the film (laughs) in absolute silence. And then I wouldn't let her like make a peep or say a word because we were going to discuss it on the podcast. So she just left in silence. And then I was like, never mind. (laughs)
1: So now I just had to consider like the existence of Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew (laughs) Garfield's like toxic relationship to him for like a whole week and not be able to process any of it out loud, which also we just rebrand
0: that movie to fucking jump scare the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of people in there that you wouldn't think David Fincher would have in a film like Brenda Song and Justin Timberlake.
1: Two army hammers. Two. One's enough. I couldn't even believe my eyes. And I saw his name in the credits and I still was like not prepared.
0: I was really hell-bent on covering that film. And then Lizzie the whole time was like, this is gay, right? So I thought, let's do something else I feel really strongly about. And if Lizzie could make a point for that film being subtextual, then we could just do it on the main feed. Yeah, because I have a lot of things to interrogate. You about with that film because what the I mean it was great I loved it but we're not here to talk about that I'm so sorry no we're here to talk about riding in cars with boys Lizzie have you seen this film I have never seen this film
1: until last night at midnight
0: that is so shocking to me this is so very clearly your brand of film it's like flashback fast forward it's based off a book great cast Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know how this one
1: escaped me I really I really couldn't tell you I guess if my mom didn't like it I wasn't seeing it and it had too much about like mommy child issues for us to broach the film I guess it would have been too raw but like what does your obsession with the film center in because you've been talking about this movie to me for years
0: yeah this was something that we always had on we had like the VHS's and then you know later we had the DVDs this is a, a film that my mom always really loved and although it is not the happiest film it's very comforting for me And I think that as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate the characters in this film so much more. When I was a kid watching it, Drew Barrymore's like, I'm 15, I'm having a baby, you know, and I'm six years old. I'm like, 15 is so old, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm about to be 28. And I'm like, 15 is a fucking infant. It's insane that this, this character of Beverly had a baby at the age of 15. And I really, really love this film. I've never met anyone organically that had seen this film it's either people that I know that I get to make <laughs> see it, and then um, my sisters. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I guess it just is kind of one of those hidden films, even though it has Drew Barrymore at the height of her career starring in it. So, like, what—maybe because it's sad, Do you think, that people stayed away from it? I mean, that didn't stop us from watching Steel Magnolias.
0: No, yeah, there is kind of a weird little mix of things that happen, and we can get into that when we discuss the reception of of why this film didn't really get in front of as many people as you would think it would. But since this film isn't gay at all, because it's my birthday, there is a kind of question or like a thread or maybe like a hypothesis that I want to make with this film and keep in the back of our minds while we're going through the plot. But I've always felt very strongly that this was a feminist film. And I see people making the opposite critique because the film is like, bookmarked pretty hard by the men in her life. So I'm I, the question I'm posing today is, like, can this film succeed in portraying Beverly as an individual when her life is centered around men? You know, it's funny because,
1: like, the protagonist of the film, Bev, is in a lot of ways super flawed. And at the end of the film, or at multiple points in the film, we're kind of—she's kind of set up to be villainized, I guess, from the perspective of her son in particular— but for me in like this day and age with like my current lens on it i would definitely say yes it's a feminist film if i had seen this film in the 90s or as a younger person i don't know if i would have said that but i think that our view on what a woman's life can be and her motivations for her life have changed a lot like i think you could call bev a selfish character mm-hmm. and i think 30 years ago that would have been a bad thing and even to some people now that could be a bad thing but for me personally being selfish is what makes Women stronger and better. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually find Bev to not center the men in her life like she was supposed to. And that's what makes her so unique.
0: Yeah, I I would completely agree. Being selfish is a privilege mostly extended to men, especially in the 1960s when she, where most of this film takes place. So, I mean, the title of the film is Riding in Cars with Boys, and the boys themselves mark the stages of Bev's life. So we have her father, which we see in the early, in the beginning of the film. And that kind of marks her childhood. And then the next boy she's in a car with is Ray, which signifies her like sexual awakening. And then the next boy she's in the car with is Jason, which represents motherhood. Mm-hmm. So all of these, all of these stages in her life, we see these boys, and they only see Bev only so much as she is meant to serve them. Like her father only right. expects her to make him proud, right? And to do the right thing. And, and to, to stay virginal. Family. Exactly. And then Ray only expects her to be a mother and to, like, burden all of the child care. And then Jason expects her to be grateful for the opportunity to mother him. So she never gets to exceed any of these points in her life to just focus on who she is. And it's not like she chose this. She chose to center these men in her life. She had no other choice. No, it's society centered them for her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and these men are not portrayed as better wiser or more equipped, they're portrayed as the literal opposite. Yeah, Most of the time, she seems like the only one that's sane, her and her friend Faye, who's played by Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy does an incredible job in this film. But what I think is really funny when I was toying around with this idea of, is this a feminist film? I was thinking of the Bechdel test and I realized that this film almost doesn't pass the reverse spectral test.
1: Oh, two men talking to each other. Not about a woman. Not about a woman.
0: I'll let you know when that scene, yeah, when we get to it. But I think it's so funny that the idea is like, oh, Beverly's centering her life amount around men and the men don't get it like hardly any screen time no and also this film really tells the story of so many women who have had to perform womanhood first and foremost for the men in their lives before they even get a chance to like ask themselves who do I want to be and that's that's such reality for so many people and just because it's not inherently empowering in today's day and age doesn't discredit the struggle that all of those women had to go through
1: God, yeah, if Bev had been born, like, a couple decades later, she would have excelled in her life. And all of the choices she wanted to make would have been supported a lot more and wouldn't have been so strange and alienating for her. Mm -hmm. And she would have gotten to go to college, you know, which was, like, one of her ultimate goals. Yeah, she was just, like, screwed by time and, like, born with too strong of a soul for what she had the opportunity to grasp. Mm Mm-hmm. Which sucks because I think she could have gotten so much farther if the men in her life supported her at all. They really (laughs) fail her. Maybe Jason is there the most, but there's just too much damage there for him to be very helpful to her, too.
0: No, yeah. Jason, we'll see in this film He only knows as much as a child would know in some senses, but he definitely did not make it easy on her to mother him. My favorite fucking line in this film comes from him.
1: At the very beginning, we hear a voiceover from Jason saying, and this is why therapists are so wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that I'm about to tell you. Yeah. And it's so funny because like this is... I would love our friend Olivia, who's a therapist, to unravel this movie for me because its you get to see the multi-generational dominoes fall Mm -hmm. throughout the film. And then we even circle back to the very first domino um, with her father in the final scene of the film in a really beautiful circular way. But yeah, this is a therapist fucking
0: playground. This is a therapist fucking dream. (laughs) Uh, So a little bit about the production. This was written by Beverly Dunafrio, So this is based off of her memoirs, and she also wrote the script. Uh, she's still alive. She's 72 years old. And it was directed by Penny Marshall. And I, like, felt like it was such a sign. We just did A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. I feel so strongly about it. And I just want to sing the praises for Penny Marshall. Uh, she directed Big in 1988, a league of Their Own, like I mentioned, in 1992. She's an actress known for Laverne and Shirley. Mm-hmm. She's Laverne. And she's also directed two episodes of United States of Tara, which is one of my favorite fucking shows ever. Did you know she's also in Hocus Pocus? She's the, the master's wife. Yes. Who's like, get out of my house. That, the master, is, <laughs> is Gary Marshall. Yeah. yeah, her brother, Gary Marshall, who directed Pretty Woman and Princess Diaries. Yeah. And he's also in an episode of The L Word.
1: And he also like basically ushered his sister into the Hollywood
0: spotlight. Their whole family is just Mm -hmm. Hollywood people. Like her sister is also like a prolific producer. So it's like definitely in their blood. And so she was an actor for the earliest part of her career. And then he was kind of like, just fucking direct some shit. Yeah. (laughs) So I love that. That's so funny that they're in Hocus Pocus. (laughs) So, yeah, let's get into the movie.
1: Boys were her destiny.
0: Always, get out. All we would do was making out. And I never go past second base with a guy
1: I just met, which means nothing below the waist.
0: Boys were her weakness.
1: I am your mother, and that means you're not allowed to stay mad at me.
0: All right, this ride <laughs> starts with us meeting young Beverly in Connecticut in 1961 as her and her father pick out a Christmas tree. Her father, who is
1: Hades from Hercules.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's his name, Lee? <laughs>
1: James Wood. It's either James Woods or James Wood.
0: Yeah, that yeah, guy. yeah. He is Hades. <laughs> yeah. So that's the kind of vibe he brings to this. <laughs>
1: Definitely. He's I like, was instantly on edge whenever he started talking to her alone in that car. I was like, this isn't like one of those movies where he's going to do something bad right now, is it? Get out of there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he is a cop, so yeah. also puts you on edge. Sus. And um, they sing their song, which is playing on the radio, which is All I Have to Do is Dream by the Everly Brothers. And they have a really sweet moment. And then that's ruined by Beverly asking for a bra, which freaks this dude out. And he like shuts her down immediately. And then we jump forward. We flash forward to 1986 in New York, where we find Beverly and her son, Jason. And Jason is played by Adam Garcia. You might recognize him from Coyote Ugly. I've
1: never seen that.
0: I know. Whatever. I know. <laughs> It's not even a hard film to see. It's <laughs> it's mean? like the most accessible short film ever. Is it a short film? It's like an hour and 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the new definition of short film yes. thanks to Oppenheimer.
0: Thank you, Christopher Nolan, for making us change the definition of a short film.
1: Wait, but like real quick, the first fucking domino that I think could have been avoided and would have made Bev's life hit a totally different track is just if her father had recognized her and her desires and her honesty and her sexuality right off the bat rather than shaming her. Like, this yeah. beat hit me hard. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is going to be one of those subtle movies where the men aren't, like, beating her, mm-hmm. but their abuse is so much more, like, baked in yeah. to the relationships and sneakier and harder to weed out.
0: Yeah, the, the men in her life almost masquerade like wholesomeness, like this idea of being traditionally family values and stuff that, that chips away at her so slowly over time. So towards the middle and the end of the film, when you see her like break, it makes a lot of sense because she doesn't know what to point to. It's been so slow. It's been everywhere. Like she doesn't have anything to really say. Like, oh, this is the thing that did it. So yeah, we we see Beverly and her son Jason in New York in 1986, and they're on their way to get a release signature from her first husband Ray, so she can publish her memoir, Riding in Cars with Boys,
1: played by Steve Zahn, which we haven't said his name out loud on the mic yet, but
0: yeah, Steve Zahn, incredible job as Ray. Lizzie doesn't like this character. I completely, I, I can completely see where she's coming from, but his performance is great. I don't think he's ever performed better than this in his entire career.
1: I could agree. I do think his performance in Sahara is really fun.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen that. I have
1: not seen that. That's a good one. It's uh, putting the gang back together from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days because it stars Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, which is probably why you haven't seen it. I know you hate Matthew McConaughey. I cannot stand that, man, but it's a good adventure story. Anyway, Steve's on, everybody. He does great in this film. Oh, wait, he lives here, by the way. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he lives in New Orleans. It's like Intramay too. Yeah. I like him How have I never seen him? He probably looks a lot different now. Also, you wouldn't be like, huh, that guy looks exactly like Steve Zahn. Like, we're not consistently thinking about Steve Zahn.
0: (laughs) I would. I would actually. uh, You don't know how many hours of my life I've spent watching this fucking movie. We're going to run into him now. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking manifesting that. So... They're trying to get his release signature, and they have to take a pretty lengthy car trip to get to him. So during this car trip, Jason is less than thrilled to help his mother, Beverly, and he's nervous to tell her that he's transferring colleges. And then on this drive, we begin our story in flashbacks. So bring yourself back to Connecticut in 1965. Beverly is 15 years old, and she's headed to a party with her best friend, Faye, who's played by Brittany Murphy. Great combo of actors. Have they been anything else before together?
1: Drew Barrymore and Brittany Murphy? I do not believe so. Damn, that's like, that
0: should have been a Hollywood duo a la Laverne and Shirley where they did more work together because they are really, really good. They have such genuinely loving chemistry with each other and they are both, you know, known as actresses to be very sweet people. So, Ugh, I would just love to hear their conversations yeah, <laughs> as definitely. friends. But at this party, Beverly plans to profess her love to the star quarterback, Sky Barrister. And it's pretty clear that Beverly is not a very popular girl. She's quite nerdy. And I think she's regarded as like homely or plain. She gets to this party and nobody wants her there. And she professes her love to Sky with a poem. And he reads it in front of everyone to embarrass her. She's funny. She's, like, got
1: band geek written all over her because, she's like, though she is nerdy, she's also
0: sexually active. She is so boy crazy. The first, like, 15 minutes of this movie is just her, like, thirsting after every boy. Yeah. So after she gets thoroughly embarrassed by, scare- by Sky Barrister, she takes refuge in the bathroom. And while she's crying on the commode, we meet Ray, played by Stison. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to show you that scene now. Is everything all right?
1: Can I have a- A cigarette.
0: I know you. You were in the play at the high school. You were the girl.
1: Juliet. Yeah. You were beautiful. Yeah, well, I write my own stuff too. And I'm probably going to go to NYU. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Beth has a podcast now.
0: Oh, Bev would most totally have a podcast if she was in present day. Oh, my God. I love, love, love this scene. Lizzie, can you describe the scene a little bit? So Bev has just had
1: her poem... And heart crushed by this dumb jock. So she runs up to the bathroom and starts sobbing in there. And Steve Zahn is kind of trapped in there with her. Ray, I should say, is trapped in there with her. And she forces him to stay. And he kind of gives her all these compliments. And starts to, like, put the pieces together that he knows her from this little number called Romeo and Juliet, in which she was the star. And this is really where me as a viewer for the first time is getting a sense, like oh, this woman is in charge of every situation she's in Mm -hmm. to the best of her abilities. She, like, kicks the door in and says, like, stay here, give me a cigarette, and, like, snaps at him, which is just about the funniest moment in the film. And also reminds me of, like, the insane tone of this film. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Drew Barrymore taking the performance to, like, the 10th degree. At any point, she's, like, always going for like full body movement, full emotionality. Like it's such an interesting character. She's not like the blushing, like meek nerd girl or whatever. Like she commands people. She yells. She's not afraid to just be who she is, even at at such a young age.
0: My coworker was telling me like, oh, my daughter just turned 14 and she's She's watching a lot of, like, Disney Channel, and she keeps saying, like, really dramatic things, you know, because she's, like, at that age. So, I mean, Beverly is only 15, and this point in her life is not entirely dissimilar to a role that Drew Barrymore has already played in Never Been Kissed, Mm. the Josie Mm Grossie. And you can see, like, a different approach here. Like, she's, she's not very popular, and she's getting made fun of and bullied, but she is so... Beverly is so incredibly self-assured that she knows she's talented. She knows she's smart. She knows she's beautiful. She knows she's going to go to NYU. And Steve's on, or Ray is not in- exactly informing her of anything she does not know. Right. But he is the first man. He's like the first boy that's noticed these things about her.
1: Bullshit. What about Tommy?
0: Oh yeah, Tommy. There's a nerdy guy, Tommy. That uh, that is pretty much obsessed with Beverly, rightly so. But this is the first time I think that she's felt like really regarded in like a romantic sense. Yeah. Where like her sexuality sexuality
1: is being piqued as well as her ego. Bev has ego. I love it. I appreciate that. You don't often see that in a female protagonist character in like a coming of age film. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking about uh, Winona Ryder's Susanna character of Girl Interrupted who is kind of for a lot of the movie, just like observing things happening and like watching people around her change, and does make a change herself, kind of. But Bev is the fucking main character mm-hmm. of her in her own perspective as well as obviously in this movie. But she doesn't concede any amount
0: of time or space to anyone but Faye. Really, she d- she's not looking for anyone for permission for anything, and no. she's very very headstrong. And this scene is followed by Ray going downstairs and goading Sky Barrister <laughs> into a fight in which he go Ray's saying like hit me hit me and Sky like brings his hand back to punch Ray and Ray turns his head down and Sky hits him in the head so hard that he breaks his hand. Well, finally put that good hard head to use. Yeah, and I think that although Ray's character obviously has like a negative effect over Beverly's life, I think his appeal is that he recognizes how incredible Beverly is and he constantly kisses the ground that she walks on. And even though times get hard for them, that's not something that ever really changes, which I think is sweet. Um, So after Sky breaks his hand, they all run from the party and they go to a makeout spot. So it's Faye and her boyfriend, Bobby, in the back seat. And then in the front seat, it's Beverly and Ray. And Beverly makes a move on Ray. And he says, no, it's not a good idea. I'm no good. And Beverly says, well, you were good to me.
1: You know, it's funny, usually, like, the bad boy character says this and, like, doesn't really mean it. But I think Ray like, actually is like, no, I'm, like, a piece of shit. (laughs) Like, I have low self-esteem. I'm kind of stupid. Like, I'm never going to do enough for you. Mm -hmm. It just sucks that they set him up to be so good and, like, he says a lot of the right things. Mm -hmm. But he just lets himself become so fucking useless. Yeah. And I'm just mad about it because, like, Steve Zahn insinuates, like, a very likable character. And he is almost a really good father to Jason anyway. I'm probably, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's like he
0: does stand by and support her until all of a sudden he's too weak to. Yeah, I think they made a genius decision casting Steve Zahn because Ray, in all of his faults, is an earnest, well-intentioned person who can't get out of a slump enough to help anything and and for the period that he's in the driver's seat of his own life he does try yeah he fails but he tries really hard while they're in this makeout spot they get caught by the police which so happens to be beverly's dad and although he doesn't need to fucking arrest and book them he does for the first time in this
1: film but not for the last
0: it happens again why are you obsessed with like arresting your daughter
1: That's like, I mean, this father character and his use of authority over her is just so unhelpful to what she actually needs from the very first scene where he tries to shut down her being as a sexual person, as an individual. The fact that he barely comes around and, like, doesn't ever forgive her for having sex with someone too young, which could have been avoided if he just, like took the time to talk to her about it
0: yeah he really is as you're saying the first domino if you had just level-headedly understood where your daughter is like developmentally in puberty to be able to address her concerns she likely wouldn't have made a mistake this huge but she's afraid to talk to you about it
1: right or at least she could have dealt with that mistake quote-unquote in a way that would have not put her into
0: isolation yeah so this is very quickly followed by Beverly realizing that she's pregnant. Oh. First person she tells is Faye, and I'm gonna show you that scene now.
1: I can't even talk to them about the weather. How am I supposed to tell them that I committed a mortal sin? Okay, okay. A mortal sin! Okay, okay. I know, I know, I understand. Okay,
0: calm down. We'll practice. Pretend that I'm your parents. Okay, you'll just say what you're gonna say. You'll get through it. Okay.
1: Mom, pop, Yeah, I'm pregnant. My daughter's a tramp. My daughter's a tramp. My daughter's a tramp. (gasps) You're 15 years old. How can you do this to me? Okay, go.
0: Gosh, I'm resisting the urge to just show you every time Brittany Murphy is on screen in this film.
1: I'm telling you, my daughter's a tramp. Oh my daughter's a tramp. Why would you just take my gun? <laughs> <laughs> That's what a good friend will do, though. She won't fucking spare you.
0: No, no, not at all. But she does tell Beverly to go ahead and tell Ray first before Beverly tells her parents that she's pregnant. So when she does tell Ray that she's pregnant, Ray professes his love to her and she looks at him so dumbfounded she goes what are you talking about
1: that's the thing these men are just saying the parts that they are assigned to say and they're not questioning what they actually feel so whenever it falls the fuck apart and it isn't real particularly with ray like it just ruins everything and uproots it from the beginning because the roots that they're setting down weren't true
0: yeah. None, <sighs> of, none of the events that are going to take place are happening because anybody wants them to happen. So it's a lot easier to fail when you don't feel like you wanted it to succeed in the first place. And Beverly tells Ray pretty astutely, like, you're not the guy I'm going to end up with. And he goes, well, I might not be that guy, but I'm going to be the guy that loves you and I'm going to treat you right. And then he says, please marry me because I'm shit without you. She says, how romantic, a <laughs> marriage proposal that contains the word shit. <laughs> <laughs> she's a poet. I love Beverly so much. And she's she's resigned to not marry Ray, even though the, he's only doing what he thinks he should be doing by asking her to marry him. So after this... Faye tells Beverly about an aunt of hers who fell down the stairs and oh had a miscarriage. So Beverly tries to throw herself down the stairs. And you're probably wondering why I'm like smiling and laughing when I'm saying this. It's one of the most ridiculous scenes I've ever seen in a film. She throws herself down the stairs in the most ridiculous way. She's like sliding around in her
1: pajamas, like <laughs> on carpeted stairs. Like no harm is befalling this
0: girl. Like she can't commit to letting herself fall down the stairs. So she kind of just like bumps around on her butt. <laughs>
1: for for a while. It is good.
0: Uh she eventually just gives up and she does tell her parents and her father is adamant that she marry Ray, so she just agrees. So we cut to the most miserable wedding reception ever. This is when I was really like fuck this dad dude, like god, you're only having
1: this wedding because you want to like save face with the neighborhood and what mm-hmm. he says to her in his toast is pretty unforgivable.
0: Yeah. So he says right before his toast, I just do want to point out that this is the scene, the only scene in the film that passes the reverse spectral test right before Beverly's father <laughs> gives a toast. Ray's boyfriend, Bobby, who is about to be shipped to Vietnam. Bobby tells Ray, when I get back from Vietnam, we're going to open a garage. And Ray says, great, because I didn't know how I was going to make a living. That is two lines of dialogue. (laughs) That is two two lines of dialogue. So it literally barely passes the reverse Bechtel. So that's that's really funny. Um, But afterwards, Bev's father makes a horrendous speech after like not acknowledging her the whole night of her wedding. He says, there are times in a man's life to celebrate. And then there are times like this.
1: Bro, fuck you.
0: Dude, fuck this guy. Beverly's heart looks like it's actually fucking breaking. And Faye? fucking loses it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna show you a scene.
1: My name is Faye and I'm Bev's best friend (laughs) I just wanted to say how beautiful Bev looks tonight and to wish her all the happiness in the world and now that I've said that maybe one of you could say it to her too
0: he's sitting over there it's a girl that just has this light around her. It's the chair. And when you're near her, you just know something exciting is going to happen. If y'all think you're so great for being here, then don't
1: bother talking to me either. Because I'm pregnant too.
0: That's a real one. That is a real fucking friend to get up there and be like, you think you're so fucking saint-like for being here? Fuck you. Yeah. Um, this is,
1: I would do this for you. Like in a heartbeat if you popped a fart in a yoga class i would squeeze one out as well i'd be like hey look we all we're human
0: okay <laughs> it's a rudy moment you just lay <laughs> your fart on the desk
1: <laughs> exactly no that's you know and i mean maybe i'm so used to finding subtext on this podcast because of the what it is but, like, this chosen family thing only gets stronger and stronger as the film goes on. And, like, I think Bev is able to retain so much of herself because she has someone to spill her guts to, and that's Faye.
0: Yeah, Faye is the only person that sees Beverly for who she is. And although Beverly is headstrong and that helps her out in a lot of ways, it doesn't mean that she doesn't get lonely. And, uh, love so fucking much. Mm -hmm. They're moving on to the next chapter. Beverly is really pregnant. She goes into labor and has a boy even though she wanted a girl. The baby is healthy. It's a boy. His name is Jason. And we're kind of seeing her life kind of in like two times speed as Jason's growing up. So at first, he's like a little toddler and uh, Beverly is finding it hard to juggle like getting her high school diploma while raising him. Uh, We also see that Ray's character is getting more and more I don't even know what the word is, but like he's just drinking a lot more. Like unreliable? Completely unreliable. Like the all the promises that he made her about taking care of her very slowly fall flat. So you're seeing her take on more and more as Jason gets older. And on the day of a scholarship interview, she is meant to drop off Jason with Ray so that she can go and and... Talk to this uh, man at a university, but Ray is nowhere to be found. So she's forced to bring Jason to the scholarship interview, which results in her losing the scholarship. And I haven't mentioned it a lot, but Jason's attitude throughout this whole film, even in the flashbacks, really rubs me the wrong way. He makes her entire life about himself. Hmm. And in this scene in particular, in the flash forward, he says, it's not the day that Ray let her down. It's the day that my mere presence at the age of three crushed all my mother's dreams. And that's most certainly not the takeaway from that scene. It is the day that Ray let her down. She shouldn't have to bring a toddler to a scholarship interview.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. And like, that's part of the, that was part of the questions I was left grappling with like when I sat up awake in bed thinking about this film after I watched it last night at midnight. Because the thing about children is that they don't choose when they arrive. They don't choose who they get assigned to. They just show up there, whether they like it or not, cold and naked in a world that is unforgiving. And I, I don't blame him for looking back at the age of 18, which is still very youthful, and feeling angry and wanting the recognition of his pains from his mom for what he felt. And I think if we as a society didn't force mothers to be mothers first and nothing else after that, then, you know, he might not have been so triggered by the fact that his mom wasn't always obsessed with him making him the number one priority in her life. But I do understand, like, in the context of this world, like, how he could feel that his mom let him down
0: well you made a point there you saying that he's you know he's young he's just 18 that's how old Beverly was in this flashback and and I think that he has every right to feel displeased with the life that he was born into like you said that he didn't choose but the reason I dislike this character so much is that he chooses very selectively the side of his father Mm -hmm. all of the time. His father doesn't even do an eighth of what Beverly does for him. And he has no complaints about them, even in the end, after his father's completely abandoned him. That's the part that always Mm -hmm. really bothered me. Like if you can choose to see the good of your father who has abandoned you, Mm -hmm. why do you choose to see the bad of your mother who sacrificed everything to raise you? Right. Well, that's, comes back
1: to that double standard of motherhood in America versus fatherhood. Like, he's allowed, Ray's allowed to fuck off and leave on his motorcycle Mm -hmm. and, in fact, encouraged to leave and encouraged to be centered in the household whenever he has drug problems by her own father. And he can just leave, but mothers can't. Mothers can't disengage in that way. So I guess what we're seeing is like, in order for a father to be a bad father, they have to provide more direct negative emotion for a child. But because he wasn't around, he wasn't evoking any emotion in that child except for these, like, hazy memories of playing together when mommy was too busy studying Mm -hmm. to play. Like, mommy was always bad cop, you know? Mm -hmm. So because she had more discipline, more anger, more time for bad things to happen because she was physically with him more, like, if you look at just that and weigh it out on a plate like oh well mom made me feel bad more well it's like well because dad wasn't fucking there to make you feel anything Mm -hmm. so it's an unfair it's an unfair way of looking at motherhood and i really appreciate the stance that this film took on motherhood because we are to understand that beverly at the end of the day is a flawed person but she is always going to love her son and a lot of this is just as much for him as it is for her
0: yeah it's such a complex relationship and this film just does a beautiful job of highlighting the, these complex dynamics. And and something that that's really sad that happens in this scene when Beverly does confront Ray, Ray says like, hey, don't worry, the college thing will work out. And Beverly says, no, it won't. And I'll adjust. <sighs> and it reminds yeah. me of that delivery in Little Women, like, and I'll watch. You know, like you're resigning to the reality of the situation you're in. You're 18 years old and you just see your life like laid out before you in in a way that's like almost alien to yourself. It's so heartbreaking. And then this is followed by a scene with Jason's seventh birthday and Beverly gets visited by Tommy, Mm -hmm. that nerdy teen who was obsessed with her in the beginning of the film, who is now like hunky and hot and is getting his master's at Berkeley. Okay. And he kind of comes into the film to represent, like, all the things that she could have been and the the path that she did not or was not able to take. And she tells Tommy, I'm 22, that's almost 30, and I wish I was dumb and I didn't know better so I could be happy with all of this and stop hoping. Oh, (laughs) God. And Drew Barrymore makes a lot of acting choices in this film that I really respect. But Beverly is always very comedic and optimistic, even in the realization that she can't change most of the aspects of her life. And women don't owe you optimism when their life isn't going the way that it should be. But Beverly's optimism doesn't seem like a forced performance that she gives to the people around her, like in a self-deprecating way. It really does feel like she's like, this is my life and, you know, whatever. Like, I I want so many different things, but I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself because I have a son. Yeah. And I can make a new dream.
1: This dream can adapt. Mm -hmm. And she's right because by the end of the film, we see her at the like culmination of a big work that she's trying to push through this memoir that obviously does happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's cool because I... I remember now at the beginning of the film, it had like that disclaimer, this is a true story. And I kind of forgot about it until you mentioned just now the actual Bev and the actual memoir. But it makes it even more poignant that like this person went through this and still got to create not only her book, but a fucking movie starring Drew Barrymore, you know? Like, yeah, just because your story starts out a certain way doesn't mean that that's how it's going to end.
0: All right. So Tommy throws Beverly a lifeline. Tommy tells her... If you move to California, you could bring Jason, you could bring Ray, and I can make sure that you get through college. Aww. He really means it. And he's really sweet and really handsome. And for a minute, it could happen for her. And she sees it, and she's so excited, and she convinces Ray. And, like, as they're getting their stuff together to move to California, she's called to her parents' house, and Ray is in the basement with her father. And Ray admits to her that he's addicted to heroin.
1: Ah, and what pisses me off about this scene is that Her dad is sitting there with him, like, actively trying to help him. Yeah. And his solution is, oh, Bev, you just need to be a better wife to
0: him. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, dad. Yeah, he says this is your fault because you, you don't notice things.
1: I literally don't understand how his wife is
0: still with him. He has such a superiority complex that he can't see beyond his own fucking hands, like, in front of him. That he would choose... Ray, a heroin addict, over his own daughter. He basically tells her it's her duty to make sure that he gets through this period of his life because her son needs a father. So she, you know what she does? She fucking nurses him through his withdrawals where he's shitting and vomiting everywhere. And while she's doing this, she has to turn on music and dance for Jason so he doesn't hear his father screaming from withdrawal pains. And this is the reason Like, Jason really bothers me. Yeah, you're right.
1: He's not going to remember the father, what's going on in the background. He's going to remember how hard it was that his father leaves and the fact that he blames his mom because she's the one sitting there letting it happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, but that's the thing. Like, as children, we don't understand the context of what our parents are going through until way later. Yeah. And should we see, like, the next phase, like, chapter four of riding in cars with boys where, hell, maybe Bev is riding with, like, a really rich husband that respects her. (laughs) And Jason's, you know, in his 30s now with his own children. Like, I think he would really get to understand where Bev was coming from at that time.
0: As you were mentioning earlier, he doesn't have these negative feelings of Ray because Ray was, like, straight up just not around. And when he was around and being terrible— Fucking Beverly is bending over backwards so Jason can't tell that his dad's addicted to heroin. Yeah. So she does such a good job that he doesn't even seem to remember it.
1: I know. And it's like, what do you do? Like, allow that. That's the thing with kids. It's like, do you shelter them and not tell them the truth and just let them make their own inferences? Or do you just level with them as it's like, hey, dads, I always, no, B, you level with them. You're supposed to tell them the truth. I grew up really sheltered and then I had to like realize shit was the way it was like years later or find out on my own while it's happening mm-hmm. how fucked life is. You're going to find out.
0: Yeah, it can kind of detach you from your own experience. You know, your memories are so like, why are there so many holes in my memories? And why why don't I remember my dad doing hair? You know, like, I don't think you should tell a toddler that their dad's, doing heroin. But there are words that you can say yeah. that maybe a toddler can understand. But Beverly is a child. so True. Exactly. <laughs> this is the best that she can do. And so as she's trying to get him through this detox, she wakes up one morning and assumes he's asleep. He's fallen off the wagon again. He comes back home uh, after using heroin again and tells Beverly that he can't quit, but he only needs a little bit at a time. And she says, you want my permission to use a small amount of heroin forever. <laughs> oh, my God. So real.
1: Wait, a question. I think this scene happened a little bit before this. But there is like a scene where Bev goes over to Faye's uh, parents' house where she's living now that got in a divorce. And they take like two little white pills and just like giggle the fuck out. Yeah, they take Molly, I'm assuming. Oh, it's Molly. I didn't know if that was heroin. I don't know what heroin looks like. But that's a... Probably one of my favorite scenes in the film, too, and the one that stuck with me the most afterwards, because I remember being, like, really hurt by this film and, like, feeling really sour about it because it is so painful to watch. And I remember asking myself, like, pick out the moments of the film where there is love, like love between the characters, because it's kind of hard to see it through all of the conflict. And I remember Faye's line in this moment where Bev is admitting to her like, I don't think I actually love Jason as much as I'm supposed to, like something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And Faye says, what I consider one of the big thesis lines of the film, she says, sometimes we love people so much, we have to make ourselves numb to it. And from that point forward, it really changed how I saw Bev and Jason's relationship is like she is just trying to get the best possible situation for them at all times. Like that is the center of everything she does. Mm -hmm. Getting her college degree, applying for the scholarship, trying to move to California, writing the memoir, like all of that is, of course, her selfish, creative ego goal. And I say ego in a good way in this sense. But it's also her just trying to do better by their story together.
0: Yeah, that is so well said. A lot of critiques on this film are, you know, they people regard Beverly as a selfish character in, in the way that she mothers Jason. And my point of view is that I think she's trying to manage his expectations because I, I think what she really wants is to not have to worry about money. And she wants to be the mother that, like, makes sure he goes to school with with socks without holes in them. But she can't let herself think about that because it's so far from what's possible for the two of them. And I think that if she realizes that, if she really comes to terms with that, she would fall apart. Yeah. So she has to say, "Well, we're a team, and we're going to get through this, and I'm going to get my degree, and then I'm going to be the mom that I can, you know, that I want to be for you." But right now I can't be the person who kisses your boo-boos cuz I'm I'm making 65 happy burgers at yeah. Jack in the Box or something, you know? Yeah. And I think that she is doing everything in her resources she can possibly do to just keep the wheels turning yeah yeah that's a beautiful scene i didn't i didn't bring it up because um i didn't know if we'd have time (laughs) so many good scenes uh so beverly you know ray tells her that he needs to do a small amount of heroin forever and she says she can't (laughs) live that life and so ray says goodbye to jason and he says probably the worst thing that you could possibly say to your child when you're leaving Your mom doesn't think it's such a good idea if we're around each other anymore. He's just stupid. Why don't you say, I shouldn't do heroin around a child? Yeah,
1: I'm not good to be around you anymore.
0: No, but he says, I would love to be around you. I would love to spend time with my son. Your mom, on the other hand, wants me to leave. You know, he puts the onus so much on Beverly. Ray leaves on a motorcycle and Jason runs after him saying, I want to go with you, which is like so sad because he's such a little kid. And he's in the middle of the street and Beverly's like, just get out of the middle of the street. Just go inside and be mad at me. And she says, Jason, you're mad now, but you'll see we've never had a chance if I didn't do this. I am your mother. I am your mother. and That means you're not allowed to stay mad at me. Why does every movie I choose have the lines, I am your mother in it? (laughs) Mommy issues. Uh, Spoiler alert, he stays mad at her forever. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: He's going to write his own memoir and
0: it's going to tank. Oh, God, his is going to suck. So Beverly and Faye are trying to dry weed in their oven to make some money to get the kids out and into a better life. And as they're doing so, Jason tells Beverly's father that Beverly is drying weed. And because Bev's father is a cop, he arrests her. And Faye has to use all Beverly's savings to bail Bev out. And because Faye also got arrested, her parents are kicking her and her daughter out. Her daughter's name is Amelia. And she's forced to live with her brother in Arizona. And her brother's only condition is that she can't see Beverly anymore.
1: Mm, it's like they're the only two people keeping each other afloat and of course they're going to be the ones blamed for the other not doing well
0: enough i cannot forgive jason for this i cannot i cannot forgive him for this that i know he's a kid but what why would he want to get his mom in trouble i don't understand that because he's mad at her he resents her he
1: wants to do something with his anger
0: it's really it's so sad to see like you see them embrace before you see Beverly and Faye embrace as Faye has to go to Arizona, and they're like holding each other and like they're so emotional. and Beverly gets in the car and drives off with Jason. and Jason tells Beverly that he was the one who told about her drying mm-hmm. weed, and Beverly pulls a car over and she goes, like, I was going to use that money to get us out of here. Like you've ruined our lives. And the worst thing of all is that Faye is gone, and I have no one.
1: I mean, sometimes I'm just like, Ugh. you're being really harsh to like a seven-year-old. Like, I get that, but she's like 21. That's the thing is like the situation. The situation is just so fucked, and she doesn't have someone to look at who's doing better than her as like an example. Mm-hmm. And every man in her life has now let her down. So I, like, the frustration she feels is so real. And I think, like, other moms might just, like, bury it and then, like, fucking murder-suicide their entire family a decade later. Yeah. Like, that's the level of anger and resentment that she's feeling. So letting it out on him is damaging for sure. Mm -hmm. But then again, is keeping things secret not just as damaging? Well,
0: she ends that line, I have no one. This is something, you know, you see Faye and her, you know, as they're raising their kids together and they're kind of commiserating throughout, like, The journey of having young children. And this is the type of stuff she'd tell Faye. Yeah. But Faye's not here anymore. Yeah. So it's like, what, does she just never say anything? Right. To who? Her mom doesn't really quite get it. Her dad's a
1: fucking asshole. She has no friends.
0: Yeah. So I think this is supposed to be where we understand, like, why Jason is so upset. I have a hard time siding with Jason. I understand that he's a kid, but come on. And we flash forward back to Jason and Beverly in, I guess, what we can consider their present day. And they finally reach Ray's house. He lives in a trailer with his new wife, who's played by Rosie Perez, which is just incredible that she's in this movie for like three seconds. And Ray's in very poor condition. He looks like he's using a lot of drugs. And at first, Ray doesn't even recognize Jason. So they sit down inside this trailer and Beverly tells Ray about publishing her memoir and asks him to sign papers so that she can finally get published. So she needs his release. And as she's explaining this to Ray, Jason's sitting on the couch, discounting everything she's saying. Because Beverly says, I've been working on this for six years. And he says, it's actually only been four. And she's like, and I just need your signature on this so that um, the publishing company is sure that they won't get sued. And then Jason says, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff about illicit drug activity. You, it is not flattering for you. You're so right. I didn't even catch that. They need to see a therapist stat. Even now, she's been working on this memoir. And you are you are old enough. He's in probably advanced lit or something in fucking NYU. Because he went to NYU because she busted her ass to make sure that he could go to NYU. And you're telling me that you're seeing your dad for the first time in 10 years and you're still siding with him? Right. No, this is the part that fucking pissed me off. So as Beverly is asking Ray for his signature before she even gets the full sentence out, he's he's about to sign this paper. He's like, you don't have to explain it to me. And then his wife is like, they need to pay you. And Beverly gets up and looks at his face and says, I will never forgive you and leaves. And Jason apologizes for her. Yeah. He says like, so sorry, my bad for my mom being emotional and like excuses himself. And so they go outside and Jason says, I just saw a guy who hasn't showered in a month whose teeth are rotting out of his head, who's living in shit and he's my dad. Do me a favor and pretend for two minutes to be a good mother. (laughs) He has inherited the sense of drama from his mom for sure. And
1: also just like the alien stupidity of masculinity from his father.
0: The, The running into the point head first Going so fast. If your mother wasn't a good mother, you'd be in that trailer yeah. with Ray. Yes, living in shit, as he puts it. And so Beverly storms off, and Ray leaves the trailer under the guise of taking out the trash, but he tells Jason that he has signed the papers. And uh, Ray says, "I used to feel bad about what I did, leaving you and all. But a couple years ago, your mom sent me a letter saying what a nice kid you were and what a good man you've turned out to be. And I'd like to think I had a lot to do with that, even if all I did was stay away." It was the best thing I ever did with my life.
1: Congratulating yourself on leaving, you fucking piece of shit. No, this is the part that I was like, Ray, go die. Go die, dude. Because you know what? Like, we're at this beat meant to believe. Like, that is enough. Like, that is enough to redeem Ray. And like, because Jason accepts it. Yep. And is like, yeah, you're right, Dad. And then he goes off to go be mad at his mom again. I don't know. Just... I Shut the fuck up, Ray. Like, leaving your son, there's so many other things you could have done.
0: Yes, and I do understand what Ray is trying to say. I don't think he's a great person, but this is even more to the point of why I fucking hate Jason. Ray, his father, comes out and is like, oh, your mom's still, like, hard to handle or whatever. And Jason's like, yeah, what the fuck? Can you believe her? She fucking raised you she was 15 and you're commiserating with your dad and fucking basically shitting on your mom. It's just I raise a fuck up and he was always a fuck up. And he said it from the very beginning. I I don't deserve you. I'm not going to be good for you. Doesn't absolve him from any of his wrongdoings. But her son, Jason, really thinks that he is like the arbiter of all that is good and reasonable. It really bothers me. And he goes to find after he gets the papers of that Ray has signed for the release so that the book can be published. She goes to find Beverly Beverly's on the dock near like the trailer park. And he tells Beverly that he's in love with Faye's daughter, Amelia, and that she, she wants him to transfer to her college in Indiana. And he says, but I can't go. I can't leave you because if something bad happens to you, it's my fault. I'm what went wrong in your life. I'm what you struggled to survive. You'd know you wrote a whole book about it. I'm incredibly screwed up. And just to be clear, I blame you. Great. <laughs> Awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. Doesn't this job ever end? And he goes, you call it a job. She's like, what do you think it
0: is, a calling?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Real. God, this is just so real that, like, she never really accepts everything that Jason throws at her. Like, she lets it happen. She lets him say it. She's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's shit. Can you please, like, be mad at me inside the house? You know, like, she... It's just showing that she always is centering his comfort in life ahead of hers. Like I said, this motherfucker better go to therapy, work on himself, and in 10 years, understand everything his mom did for him.
0: No, you you made a good point. And I said in the beginning of this episode, like, the, the people she's riding in cars with denote, like, the points in her life. She's with, She's a child and she has a sexual awakening, and then she goes directly into motherhood. She doesn't get the part of her life where she discovers who she is as an individual. That's supposed to happen somewhere in between some of those stages. She doesn't get that. So she's finally getting it now. Her son is 18 years old. She's putting him through college, and he wants to fucking transfer from NYU to fucking a school in Indiana. (laughs) You got two years left on your degree. Like, don't be fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. As you're saying, all of the things that she feels are reasonable and they're rooted in like the hard work that she's put forward for this boy's life. But she wants to center his comfort and what he wants again before anything. And he never sees that.
1: You know what you got to say to women to get them to do what you want? Just say that you need help.
0: Yeah. That's what Ray tells, tells Jason. And guess what? He fucking hears him and he tries that line on Beverly. Jason says like, I need your help, mom. And she's like, what? What can I do? Fuck Jason. I'm not sure how I feel about the
1: forgiveness that is given to all the male characters in this film by the end.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So after this, Jason drops Beverly off in a small town and she just is like, just go, just leave me here and go be with Amelia. And before he goes, she says, I want to make something clear. I don't think I would have been better off without you. You are not what went wrong with everything. You're what saved me. And I want to thank you for that. And he goes, you're welcome. Idiot. And fucking leaves. He doesn't deserve that statement.
1: I guess she has to say it for herself. I don't know. Whatever.
0: So Beverly makes a phone call and someone comes and picks her up. She gets in the car and it's her father. And she tells her father, Jason thinks I'm the reason everything went wrong in his life. And her father just goes, hmm. You are the reason everything went <laughs> wrong in her life. As I've said, my
1: fucking first statement about this film was if he hadn't knocked over that first domino by just shutting down and shaming her for feeling... Her sexuality, a lot of this probably wouldn't have happened. This would have gone really differently for her.
0: Yeah. And she is having like a full circle moment. And I think she's like understanding the brevity of, of all of these experiences. And her dad starts to sing their song. Mm-hmm. And so they begin singing that song and they embrace in the car. And it's like a nice
1: little yeah, circle.
0: I do like that. I think it's pretty sweet.
1: But still, y'all need to go to therapy.
0: So I do you like this movie? I didn't get a feeling after I spoke to you if you really enjoyed it or if you were just like, <sighs> I like a movie that sticks with me.
1: It was just so painful, but it was also very validating because I have a very complicated idea of, like, women's obligation to have children and how mothers are and children are supposed to act and the, like, outside forces put on mothers. Like, I've always had a complicated relationship with that, and this—I saw that in Bev— was really validating that just made it even more painful to watch because I related more with Bev than probably any other Drew Barrymore character. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Does like even matter? I do recognize that this is an important film for like the female experience.
0: Yeah. I. Yeah. Maybe like doesn't always matter. Sometimes you can recognize something as being like valid and well well executed and not be like, Time to go have fun and put on yeah. this movie, Yeah, you know? It's art. Like, it's honesty mm-hmm, is what it is. So, reception. With a budget of $47 million, this film is considered a box office bomb, only grossing <gasps> $37 million worldwide. I mean, I guess it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, this was in 2001, and Drew Barrymore was um, a household name. She definitely could get people to the box office. This wasn't a role that she was particularly known for. Mm-hmm. Before this, she was very much comedic centered. Mm. So this was a bit of a departure from that. And maybe that's why people didn't like run out of their house to go see this film. Um, Critical reception was also mixed. The review from the Washington Post read, Barrymore, a delightful comic actress has a spunk for the role, but can't do justice to the complexities of Beverly's conflicted personality. So she comes off as abrasive and neglectful, as opposed to headstrong and ambitious, winning no empathy for this sour single mom.
1: Okay, written by a man? It was written by a
0: woman. (gasps) Hmm. This this rev- the review actually made me feel so fucking angry. It reminded me of Barbie, the fact that a woman wrote this review. How did you want her to be a mother? Hmm, How exactly. could she have done it
1: right? If she had just swallowed it all and not complained and not talked back to her son and not told him the truth.
0: It really, that, that made me feel so fucking angry when I read that review. Um, but our number one boyfriend, number one boyfriend of the pod, Robert Ebert? Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars. (laughs) He wrote, A film like this is refreshing and startling in the way it cuts loose from formula and shows us confused lives we recognize. This movie is closer to the truth. A lot depends on what happens to you, and then a lot depends on how you let it affect you. God damn it. I
1: hate when he's right. (laughs) He fucking nails it sometimes. Sometimes.
0: asterisks as fuck.
1: Well, That's why he's our toxic boyfriend of the pod. (laughs)
0: Uh, I know this is like not the happiest movie, but I love this movie. It must be my birthday.
1: She said, happy birthday. Cry,
0: bitch. Oh, yeah. Last time I made you scared with Blair Witch, and this time I'm going to make you cry.
1: (laughs) I regret nothing.
0: Okay, so since we don't score the birthday movies because they're not gay, Mm -hmm. can you just tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 how much you like this film? It's so
1: hard because, like, a movie that makes me mad and makes me uncomfortable, I want to say, like, I don't like it. But then the part of me that's been to therapy is, like, because it's real.
0: <laughs> I give it at least a 7. Okay. I I can take that. I can definitely take that. I love this movie. I'm going to give it a 10. <laughs> that's a 10. Penny Marshall just hits me in my, like, mommy and daddy issue. It's just one, <laughs> um, two. Yeah. I really
1: – I would recommend this film to anyone, especially – if you're at the cusp
0: of parenthood
1: yeah or if you're like huh i don't want to have kids i wonder why like watch this and you'll be like oh that's
0: why birth control this movie is birth control (laughs) control Um, i felt my vagina like fucking being sewn shut (laughs) you're like while i was watching this movie as a preteen i was like never will i be a mom i'm always joking
1: with my friend um who she and i cycle together we're always having our period at the same time it's like you got it? You got it? All right. Another month of winning. We like
0: give each other a high five and like Tylenol. Yeah.
1: And it's like, you know what? I'm grateful. I don't have to be like 15 and pregnant. If you were
0: Beverly right now, your kid would be
1: 15. Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, oh, but then like I'd be done. I'm done. (laughs) They're in college. My life can begin. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But then I think about being 15 and what a I just never would have gotten out of my box, you know? No, yeah. Like so much happens when you go to college or you you make that next step out of your parents'
0: house. Mm -hmm. She kind of retains that like childishness a little bit throughout the film. Yeah, I love that her character is, you know, it changes, but her intrinsic values stay the same. Yeah. I love Drew Barrymore. I fucking love Ruby Love Murphy. you girls. Love
1: y'all. Ugh. I'm a cool mom. Not like the other moms. Not like the other moms.
0: Okay. I, thank you so much for riding in cars with me for my birthday.
1: Happy birthday,
0: car riding fool. You finally got me to watch it. Yes!
1: <laughs> yeah! <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com subtextualpod. See you next week.